Acts chapter 2, so three quarters of the way through the Bible, just after the Gospels, beginning from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise be to God for his word. Thank you, uh, Russell, for reading God's word to us this morning. Friends, let's uh, come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in this place today. We thank you that we can open up your word inspired by the Spirit of God. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work in our hearts and lives. And you point us to Jesus and empower us to the work of the gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, this morning uh, we're going to look at this Acts chapter 2. It's uh, a massive section of scripture for us today as we look at one of the most important and significant events in what we might call redemptive history of God's church. Uh, What we see here today is part of God's overall plan uh, being worked out in his own time for his own purpose, and for the work of the gospel. What we see here today is one of the most astonishing work of God, by pouring out his Holy Spirit upon 
his people for the ongoing work and sustenance of gospel work throughout the world. At times we can forget the work of the Holy Spirit. I was reading in preparation for uh, this message uh, where one writer says, uh, we say God the Father, God the Son and then God the Holy Scriptures. Or we can say God the Father, God the Son and God and His Church. And we forget the ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit, His purpose given uh, to the world. And so today I'd like you to keep your Bibles open to Acts uh, chapter 2 as we work through uh, this uh, passage here together. So let me, uh, before we look at our text today, which is Acts chapter 2, 1 to 21, uh, I will touch briefly, of course, on the latter part of that passage and of uh, Joel's uh, prophecy and come back to that next time for the purpose of time. So before we look at our text today, let me give you an overview, of, uh, be, 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 just the context of what is going on here in Acts chapter 1 that will set the setting for our passage. You see, before Jesus ascended, that is, before he was taken into heaven, he said this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension leads to the sending of the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus. In fact, Jesus promised the sending or coming of the Holy Spirit on seven separate occasions. In Luke chapter 24, John chapter 7, John chapter 14, again John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, and Acts chapter 1 verses 5 and 8. And so when Jesus was taken up to heaven, he had the authority together with the Father to send the Holy Spirit in a new and powerful way upon the church. And last Sunday we established some very important aspects of who the Holy Spirit is. I mentioned clearly last Sunday that the Holy Spirit is a person and is not a force. For example, we would not say, may the force be with you. Not that. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's very important for us to understand that and to know it. Jesus, why do I say that? Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by and fought temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit. A very important principle for us as well, isn't it? When we face temptation, we are weak. But he is strong. Jesus taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to heal. And Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit for his public ministry. And we also established the fact that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. That is, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is co-eternal with the Father and the Son. And so today, we come to Acts chapter 2, where we have recorded for us by Luke, an amazing event that took place on the day of Pentecost. 
And so before we go right into this chapter, let me go back to Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Ptolemy, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the, the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. That's the setting. And this leads us to the text this morning. And I want to look at this passage under three headings. The evidence of the Spirit's coming. The effects of the Spirit's coming. The evidence of the Spirit's coming, chapter 2, 1 to 4. The effects of the Spirit coming, chapter 2, 5 to 13. And then also we see the explanation of the Spirit's coming uh, in, in verses 14 right through 21. So if you have your Bibles, that will be very, very helpful. So we see this morning, friends, that the evidence of the Spirit's coming. We see a tremendous work that is going on here. We see in Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4. The passage is there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, something took place. Suddenly. You see the word Pentecost, let me put it in the context here, because the Bible says, on the day of Pentecost. You see the word Pentecost comes from the Greek term essentially meaning 50th. It literally means 50th. Pentecost was one of three annual feasts of Israel and it was one of the main religious festivals of Israel. It was one of the three Jewish pilgrimage festivals each year when every Israelite male had to be in Jerusalem. A very significant occasion. They had to be there to celebrate. Other feasts could be kept in one's hometown, but the Passover feast, the Pentecost, and Sokoth, what you might call the Feast of Boots, all required a pilgrimage to the city of David, Jerusalem. And so the festival of Pentecost was set by God to be celebrated 50 days after the Sabbath and took place during the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You can read all of this in Leviticus chapter 23. And therefore, Pentecost always came on the first day of the week, inaugurating a new week. And so, 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits was the Feast of Weeks, or what we call Pentecost. And the Feast of Weeks was a completion of the harvest. And on this occasion, the offerings of food and animals to the Lord was extremely lavish. It was an important way to thank God for the tremendous produce he had provided for them, and to give and to offer their first fruits. And so Pentecost was a festival where the people met and thanked God for giving them the grain and the celebration of that. And so now, being here we see in Acts chapter 2, on this day of Pentecost, a great conversion of 3,000 people that occurred on Pentecost with the formation of the New Testament church, with people present from every tribe and nation, was a great and harvest celebration, symbolizing 
Just as in Pentecost, a thanksgiving, a harvest festival of thanks, now we have the first fruits of celebration, of God inaugurating something spectacular, something amazing, something powerful, something so profound, and something so personal, to go from Jerusalem all over the world. It was on that day, on Pentecost, God chose the day to pour out the Holy Spirit. And so we have previously noted, I want to give you the Jesus connection as well. So we have previously noted in the last couple of weeks, Jesus appeared after his resurrection for how many days? How many days? Forty days, right? <laughs> he gave, he went, he did many convincing proofs for a period of forty days. And after that, he was taken up to heaven. Literally taken up to heaven. The, the disciples are watching. What's going on here? He's taken up to heaven. As promised, as predicted, as prophesied. And then ten days later, the promised Holy Spirit comes. Fiftieth day. This day. And it is appropriate then that the event was going to make an impact of the gospel to the world would take place at a time when the people from the ends of the earth were in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And then so, when the apostles and the other believers, about 120 gathered in the upper room, they were in for a real spectacular, miraculous, amazing event that they would have never expected. Suddenly. Have you ever been woken up suddenly in the night? Maybe you got up with a shock suddenly. The unexpected takes place. You, you, you're going about your life in a normal way and suddenly things happen. You see, God does these things suddenly. You see, the women at the tomb, they went there expecting nothing. And suddenly, they meet Jesus. <laughs> Now, the, the guys were on the road to Emmaus. They were walking. Suddenly, Jesus comes there, meets with them. The disciples were in a locked room, talking about what were they going to do. Suddenly, Jesus appears. You see, our God is the God of the impossible. When he takes ordinary situations and circumstances and makes them extraordinary. You see, God is able to do that. Suddenly. You see, you might be at church, sitting here this morning, and you're hearing the message being proclaimed, and suddenly, God might speak to your heart, and you say, Lord, yes, I understand the gospel. Hasn't it happened in our lives at times? I remember before I was a Christian, I used to always sit, we had our elders retreat yesterday, we said we want people to come and sit in the front of the church, and I encourage people to come and sit in the pews here as well, if you want to do that. And I always sat in the back of the church. I, I never wanted to go to the front. And I would sit there as a non-Christian. I didn't know I had nothing. I just went to please my mom. Thought I'll do the good thing, mom. Because my God was cricket, you know, as you know. I always sat in the back there. And, and the preacher was preaching. And uh, he was saying things. And suddenly things started to take shape in my life. And one day when I was in college, I was dissecting animals. And suddenly the gospel hit me through a conversion to my friend. Suddenly, it was an ordinary day. I didn't go into the lab, in, into the lab expecting something to take place. But God suddenly did something. And, and, and that's what he does, doesn't he? Does he not? 
He changes things. And so suddenly things happen here. Suddenly things, these 120 are sitting there wondering, what is going to be the next step? Where are we going? What's happening? Christ has been taken up to, to heaven. He's promised the Holy Spirit, what are we going to do? And then suddenly things happen. And we see three signs here in the passage. If your Bible's open, you'll see. Three signs as the evidence that accompanied the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I want to highlight those three signs here. There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The second sign was one of divided tongues like fire that rested on the people. And the third sign was the speaking with other languages. See, what do these three signs and symbols mean, friend? What does it mean? The first sign or symbol was a sound like a mighty rushing wind that came from heaven. Suddenly, look, look, at the, look at your text. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Notice it was sudden. They hadn't expected this. And the sound of a rushing mighty wind. This sound of this violent wind came from heaven. And the whole house was filled with this sound. In the original language, I may reiterate again, the term for spirit in the Hebrew is ruach. You might say it's the way, it's, it's the way it's, it is pronounced. It, 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 it is the same word for breath or wind. And the breath of God is a good term for the, the work of the spirit. And this word breath or wind in this context is a very intense word. And it is a powerful word. And it is like a storm. Now, have you ever been caught up in a storm? Have you ever been outside and heard the rushing sound of the wind? Oh, it's coming. And God is, is doing something here. And the, the, the Holy Spirit is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 3 spoke about the Spirit as a wind. And according to Jesus, the blowing of the wind shows the mysterious operation of the Holy Spirit in bringing new birth, regeneration in a person. And we read in our text here this morning, the unstoppable sound of a mighty rushing wind that came from heaven. And God the Holy Spirit is a person and his power is like the sound of a blowing, rushing, a violent wind. And it signifies, friends, his power signifies his working. It signifies the fact that it is unstoppable because no human being, however powerful we might be with all the technology under the sun, we cannot stop a violent storm, can we? We stand helpless. And that's what we see here. No human being. One writer puts it this way. This was an emblem of the invincible energy with which the third person or the Trinity works upon the hearts of men bearing down all opposition in a manner that cannot be explained. The second symbol here. Or sign is tongues of fire. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I, I wonder what these disciples thought for a moment. <laughs> these tongues of fire that they saw resting on them. They looked like fire and, and it, there were separated tongues that rested on them. Now why fire? 
You see, obviously, this was not real fire, because if it was the case, they would have got burnt. It wasn't that. Fire is a symbol of the powerful presence of God. In, in, um, we, we see this in, in, in the Exodus passage. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up and, it, and billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. The Lord descended. There was fire. The presence of God. The amazing presence of God is seen in the burning bush. Now we have that emblem here, don't we? On this pulpit. <laughs> right? And God was speaking through the burning bush. The power of God demonstrated with fire. Flames of fire coming out. Remember the story? And Moses goes down and Moses, God says to Moses, Don't come close. Take your shoes off, Moses. Don't ever come close. Because you are standing on holy ground. My presence, my power, demonstrated powerfully through fire. See, the Bible also speaks of God as a consuming fire. With reference to judgment. And so what we see here, what we see in Acts chapter 2, friends, is something very interesting and important for us. We see a Sinai-like phenomena that's taking place. Let me explain. Just as God appeared on Mount Sinai in thunder, fire and wind, here in Acts chapter 2, the phenomena of God's glory filled the apostles' room. In Exodus, God and the people summoned around him at Mount Sinai. Here in Acts 2, all the people flocked to the apostles' room to see what was going on. We also see a contrast as well. Only Moses was allowed into God's glory cloud on Mount Sinai. Similarly, when God's glory filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40, Moses could not enter the tabernacle. But now here, in Acts chapter 2, all the people are surrounded by the sound of wind and tongues of fire and they did not have to flee. Why tongues of fire? Why? See, this altar of fire was not no threat to them. Why? Because their tongues became their swords to preach the gospel. It's symbolizing now. The word is going to be proclaimed. The gospel is going to be taken. And we have an explanation of that right in this passage. The third sign was the speaking in other languages. The gospel was going to be proclaimed with power and presence and the fire of God to call men and women to repentance in faith in Jesus. And leads us to this, this sign that we see here. Notice what we have in Acts uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in other tongues. You see, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Or you might say they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, God does not give us parts of His Holy Spirit. All believers have the full Holy Spirit. Is that clear? See, we believe in Jesus in all His fullness, don't we? We don't take parts of Jesus and believe in Him. Similarly, with the Holy Spirit, every believer has the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, we will grieve the Spirit, but we don't get only parts of the Holy Spirit. We get the full Spirit. We receive the entire Spirit when we become believers. Now, we will grieve the Spirit, but Paul calls us to be keeping on filling with the Holy Spirit, because that's the Greek tense that is used there, be on filling with the Holy Spirit. 
That is to let the Spirit of God work in our lives. Don't keep Him dormant in your life. Let the Spirit do His work in you. Submit Him to the Spirit of God. You see what I'm saying? And, 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 and we see here the whole Spirit. And they spoke in other tongues. How is this possible? Was this their own doing? No. The Spirit enabled them. There is another kind of tongue speaking, and um, we see this in, in the Corinthian church, which is different. And I don't plan to deal with the tongue speaking in the Corinthian church today. In the Corinthian situation, they had a different kind of tongue, tongue speaking, which required an interpreter for that. No one understood what was being said, and it needed someone who had the spiritual gift to interpret that particular message or whatever was uttered. I don't want to go there this morning. But notice here, in our text, this is not the case in Acts 2. There is a difference between the Corinthian tongue tongue speaking and the one here in Acts 2. The kind of tongue speaking here in Acts 2 is different and was for a purpose. And what is that purpose, friends? We see that right here in Acts chapter 2, don't we? Look at verses 5 to 13. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one, what did they hear? Each one heard their own language being spoken. How many languages, I wonder, is in this congregation? How many languages that we can speak in this congregation this morning? There are about 23 different nationalities here. Uh, in, our, in our church anyway. I imagine we all start speaking in languages that we recognize. Chinese that I've never spoken before, and uh, Dutch, and Scottish, no. <laughs> no one said that. <laughs> um, Vietnamese, um, Arabic, you name it. Afrikaners, whatever. Singhalese. And then suddenly you begin to understand it. Man, what is going on? I've never spoken Chinese in my life, and now I'm speaking Chinese. The only Chinese words I know, I think, is ni hao or something, right? So, you see, this is remarkable. These guys have never spoken Arabic in their lives, but suddenly they are speaking these languages that they never even knew. They hadn't gone to language school. Something has happened here. (laughs) Utterly amazed, they asked, because each of, look at the text, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? That is, these Galileans, these guys, these are these... Uh, the, the, the people in Jerusalem look down upon the Galileans, right? They say, oh, these people from this particular suburb. They are the no-gooders. How can anything good come from wherever? You name a suburb. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not game to even say that. Right? How can anything good come? These, these, these Galileans... And look at what is happening here. Utterly amazed. Aren't these Galileans? How did they go to language school? Did they learn Arabic? Did they learn these languages? How is it possible? And you know, later on they come to the conclusion in verse 13. <laughs> That's the conclusion that these guys have come up with. Some of them made fun of them saying, oh, They have had wine. <laughs> they have drunk port. They have drunk whiskey, vodka. They are gone. They are drunk. That's what's happened. That's why they're speaking like this. They've had too much wine. What do we see here, friends? Verse 5. You see, 
All the Jews, God-fearing Jews had come here. They heard this. They were bewildered. See, why? Because each one. No wonder they were bewildered. Hear their own languages. Notice the nations mentioned here. See the list mentioned from 9 to verse 3 onwards. Right? Utterly amazed. How can this be? Amazing thing has happened here. There is a reversal of what happens in Babel in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Babel, there was confusion of languages. Here, there is an understanding of languages. They heard their own languages. See the response by the people, make fun of them. And then there's an explanation that Peter comes out and he says, Peter, verse 14, he stood up and he gives this explanation with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed this, this crowd Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Verse 14. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not... Are you following with me? They are not... They are not tipsy. They are not drunk. They are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. I don't think people are drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. Have you seen anybody drunk at nine o'clock in the morning? Maybe it happens, I don't know. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter brings back immediately into prophecy. And Peter is saying to the people, what you've seen here is not drunkenness. This is God's act of fulfillment. God has promised. You see, God keeps his promises. People let our promises down. We can't trust people with promises. They let us down. God keeps his promises. And the spirit has moved. And has now been fulfilled. On this day. And I'll expand further on this next time. In, uh, with the Joel prophecy. So here in Acts chapter 2. Peter quotes a prophecy from Joel chapter 2. Which was read this morning. Uh, and we see this. The outpouring of the spirit of God. So Pentecost. Is God's inauguration of the new age of the gospel to all the world. This glorious blessing of the promise of the day of the Lord bringing salvation is starting in Jerusalem through the work of the Spirit of God. It will go to Judea, to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And the languages is symbolizing that. That now the gospel is going to, to China and to to Cambodia and to Sri Lanka and to India and to, um, to the, the Arabic nations, to all over the world. The languages, the gospel is going out. Isn't that great? God is doing a work. Is he not? And he's drawing people from every tribe, language and nation of gospel work. That's what we see here. And friends, if you look at the book of Acts, you will see how this work progresses on. And in the end, if you look at the book of Acts, the whole book itself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel expands. It goes now to the whole world, through the missionary journeys and key leaders like the Apostle Paul, where the epicenter church is the church of Ephesus, and they plant off 13 or 14 churches, and the gospel is jumping off from this point onwards to all of Europe. All the way to Greece and to Thessalonica and to other parts of the world. So friends, as we wind up this message, how did this all come about? It came up from the power of the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost gave the church the power to move, to preach the gospel of good news to the world. And I want to share that with you for a moment. Think about 
I don't want you to just go home with that Pentecostal message. That's a good thing. I like, I like us to see something else here. And as I was reflecting upon this preparedness message, I want to see here the gospel of grace. Alright? Why do I say that? Because God, out of his love for mankind, poured out his spirit so that this good news, this good news that Jesus came, he died on a cross for your sins, and God loves you with an everlasting love, and when you repent, this great God wants to have a relationship with you and to make you his child so that you can cry out, Abba, Father, and be sealed for eternity. This is grace. You don't have to work for your salvation, friends. This is grace. And this is gospel grace. And we take this good news. Do you believe the gospel is good news? It's good news. When you put your TVs on, what do you see the first few items of the news? Is it good news or bad news? (laughs) 95% of the time you think, wow, I don't want to look at this TV program because there's shocking stuff that's happening. Right? The world we live in, Australia, our nation, we have massive issues of domestic violence, we have drugs that's causing chaos, the issue of ICE. We have broken families, estranged relationships. Uh, People are coming up with all psychological answers to these things. And I sit there and think, man, if only, if only God would break into this nation and pour out the Spirit in abundance upon this country, we would see a change, wouldn't we? We will see loving marriages. We will see, my dear friends, people not depending on drugs, but depending on Christ. We will see transformed lives. We will see a transformed city. We will not have to be afraid to walk at 3 o'clock in the morning because there will be lives changed by Jesus. That's the thing, friends. You see, social engineering will not solve the problem. We can have laws from this side right up to the ceiling. That's not going to resolve the issues. The problem is with the heart. And when the Spirit of God touches the heart and changes your life, he starts working within you and he changes you and he transforms you. And that's the gospel. Why do you think we are here at Surrey Hills? Are we here for a party? We are here to celebrate God's grace to us. But we are also here to take this gospel. And I am praying, friends, that this gospel will start from Surrey Hills. St. Stephen's Surrey Hills. It will reach Surrey Hills. It will reach the city of Melbourne. It will reach the city of... It will reach Victoria, and it will go from Victoria to Australia, and from Australia to the uttermost parts of the world. (laughs) And we don't do this by our strength. God's power is there. The resources are there. We need to pray and tap the resource of God. My question to you as we close this morning is, are you depending on the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we as a church? Are we trusting the empowerment of the Spirit of God to do this? And perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning. And you are struggling with the things of life. And you've listened to the gospel. You've heard these things being said time and time again. And you're trying to rationalize things. This just does not fit with my understanding of life. My worldview of life. It doesn't make sense. Well, see it for yourself. (laughs) And maybe God is speaking to you and suddenly... Suddenly, I heard this expression, 
when I went, when we went and served in the country, Victoria, little town Nurat, the penny dropped. Has the penny dropped? You, you know what that is. Finally, the penny has dropped. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> Just like when somebody said, bring a plate, I had no idea what that meant. And when somebody said, how are you going? I nearly said I went by train. I had no, no clue. The penny drops suddenly. And God touches you. And you're converted. And you become a child of God. It transforms your life. Friends, pray. Pray with us. That God will use this church. The power of his spirit. That is our prayer. Now, I work with John. We work very closely. We meet and pray. You can ask John. You can ask my elders. What do we You can ask them. They are a witness. I always say to them, Brothers, we need to be praying for the lost. You can ask them. They will... I hope they'll say yes. <laughs> but that's our passion. We want to see you grow. That's my responsibility. That's ours. We love the people of God here. I want to see the church grow. For people to come to know Christ. To know Jesus. To reach the world for Christ. May God give us that power to do that. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, and perhaps you've got some prayer points that you want us to pray for, we'll ask a couple of elders, I think Clive, uh, if you can come down later, and maybe uh, Barry, and maybe two other ladies, you want to be up here, um, please come, we will pray for you. Uh, if there's anything special that you need to pray for as well. Okay? If God has spoken to you, come and see me, or John, one of the elders, will share the gospel with you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will move and speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that if there is anyone here who is not your child as yet, that today, suddenly, by your Spirit, you will convert that person or persons. Those of us who know you, Lord, we pray you continue to help us to live empowered lives. The resources that we have in Jesus, the Spirit of God, to attempt great things for you and to expect great things from you, Lord. And we pray you help us to share the good news in a world of bad news. That lives will be changed and transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends.